Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today is the third in a four-part series featuring special requests and guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our patron of the week is Patricia, who writes... You guys are amazing and help me get through some rough COVID and away-from-home moments. So while I have the chance, thank you all so much. My choice is The House of Death from The Mysterious Traveler. The Mysterious Traveler ran for nine years on the Mutual Broadcasting Network from December 1943 to September of 1952. show was created, written, and directed by Robert Arthur and David Kogan. The duo utilized a variety of genres from episode to episode, including horror, crime, and science fiction. Listeners tuned in each week, never sure what kind of story The Mysterious Traveler would tell. The program opened with the mournful wail of a distant train whistle, followed by the sardonic voice of the mysterious traveler, who narrated each story as if he were telling it to a fellow passenger on the train. The mysterious traveler was played by radio veteran Maurice Tarplin, who also played Winston Churchill on The March of Time, Hercule Poirot on Murder Clinic, Inspector Faraday on Boston Blackie, and the titular host on Arthur and Cogan's other anthology series, The Strange Doctor Weird. And now let's listen to The House of Death one of the earliest surviving episodes of The Mysterious Traveler, first broadcast January 30th, 1944. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. The Mysterious Traveler. Another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves. Where are we going? You'll find out when we get there. I hope it's not making you nervous being alone with me here in the dark. Darkness stirs strange terrors in some minds. The things that happen at night are sometimes most upsetting. Things such as cats that vanish or die, as in the tale of The House of Death. Living out in the country this way, Louise. We're so isolated from everyone. Yes, Martha. It was much nicer when we lived in our own house in the village. Even if Roger and Hester are our nephew and niece, we should never have let them persuade us to move out here with them. Mm. Oh, 
Doesn't that wind ever stop blowing? Oh, Martha, Roger and Hester are coming. I, I, I just saw the car turn into the drive. Yeah, I hope they've brought a maid. What's the matter with Toby and Queenie? Oh, mother's little darling's hungry. Even Toby and Queenie don't like living here. Yes, they, they do seem unhappy. But Toby hasn't been eating well at all. Oh, Louise is very foolish out living here with Roger and Hester. I think we should move back to our house in the village where we can really be happy. Oh, Martha, could we? I see no reason why we can so much nonsense about our being invalids and too old to live alone. Hello, Aunt Martha. Aunt Louise. Oh, Roger. Were you able to get a maid for it? Oh, I'm sorry about that, Aunt Louise. I tried, but it's just impossible to get a maid these days. Roger, you know we need someone to push Louise around in her wheelchair. Too much for me. Well, I'm sure Hester will do anything you ask. How are you, Aunt Louise? Aunt Martha. I brought you some good hot tea and some biscuits. Thank you, dear. Uh, Roger, Louise and I have been talking things over. Now, it is very kind of Hester and you to invite us to live with you, but we were much happier living in the village and would like to go back to our house. What? But, Aunt Martha, it's much better for you here. Why, of course. You're homesick, that's all. Why, certainly. In time, you'll come to love this place as we do. Now, we don't want to hear another word about your leaving us. We couldn't be happy thinking of the two of you living alone in that house in the village. Come along, Roger. Let them drink their tea. Yes, Hester. Well, see you both later. They're really so good to us, Martha. But I, I do wish they'd let us return to our own house. Tea mm. tastes strange. Hmm? You tried it, Jeff Louise? No. Well, yes, you're right. It, it, it does taste funny. Probably the water they use. Nothing out here seems as good as it was home. You better not drink any more of it. Oh, do you remember the little teas we used to give when we lived in the village? Mary Thompson came over every afternoon. It was so nice. Mm. There's no reason why we can't move back to our house and have those teas again. But you heard what Roger and Hester said. Our health isn't so good and we need someone to look after us. Well, what of it? All that money Father left us, we can afford a dozen servants. Yes, Louise, I think we'd better plan to return home. The mail car in sight, Louise? No, Martha, not yet. You know, I've been thinking quite a bit these past 24 hours about returning home, and I think we'll leave here in a few days. Oh, Martha, that would be wonderful. Oh, look, here comes George Gibson now with the mail. Oh, and that time, too. Yes. Uh, uh, how would that to be and beautiful Queenie like to go back to their own little home? Oh, Martha, they understand perfectly what you're saying. Look how happy they are. Good they do. Hello, Aunt Martha. Oh. Louise. George Gibson just delivered the Sentinel. Oh, Here thank, you are. Thank you, Roger. We've been waiting all day for you. Oh, that's all right, Aunt Louise. Hester will soon bring you your supper. Uh, now, let's see. Oh, Martha. Let's look at the obituary notices first. That's just what I was turning to, Louise. Ah, here we are. Did anybody we know die? Now, let me see. Oh, yes, yes. yes. You remember Amos Wilson, don't you? Yes. He died two days ago. Poor Amos. He was about your age, wasn't he, Martha? Certainly not. He was a good deal older. <gasps> Martha, look at this. Hmm? Why, it says that Mary Thompson is entering the 
home for the infirm. The poor house? Oh, no, it can't be. Oh, the dreadful place. I'd sooner be dead than in that home. Poor Mary. Oh, I shudder every time I think of that horrible place. The poor house. Martha, after we move back to the village, can't we have Mary come to live with us? Yes, of course. Going to the poor house would be the death of her. Oh. Huh? Louise, what are you staring at in this paper? No. No, it can't be. What can't be? Read what it says in the real estate column. Huh? The old Abbott Mansion, owned by the Mrs. Martha and Louise Abbott, has been put up for sale by their nephew, Roger Abbott. What? Mistake. We never told Roger to sell our house. I wouldn't dream of it. Why, Martha, it's been in the family for almost a century. How could Roger do such a thing? I'll soon find out. Roger. Roger. Now, Martha, you, you mustn't get excited. But why should he want to sell our house? Are you calling me up, Martha? Yes, Roger. What's this in the Sentinel about our house being for sale? Oh, is it in the Sentinel? Oh, I'm sorry. It is a mistake, isn't it, Roger? No, Aunt Louise. You see, as co-trustee of Grandfather's estate, I thought it would be a good idea to sell the house. Prices are high these days, and the house is rather old. But you have no right to put the house up for sale without telling me. I won't hear of the house being sold. You mustn't get excited, Aunt Martha. If you don't want the house sold, I'll remove it from the market. Oh, please do. We couldn't live in the house if it was sold, could we, Louise? All right, all right. I'll take care of everything. Everything's going to be all right now. I don't like it, Louise. I don't like it at all. Why did he try to sell it without telling us? It it does seem strange. Louise, we must get in touch with Judge Smith. Yes. He's the administrator of Father's estate. And he'll take care of everything for us in the way we want it. It isn't that I don't trust Roger, but you must recall the scrape he was in when he attended college. Then there was the matter of that bad check Roger gave. It hadn't been for his dear Shh. father. He was... Someone's coming, Martha. I have your supper for you. Now, please eat them before they get cold. Yes, yes, sir. There you are. Just call me if there's anything else you want. Does Mother's beautiful queenie want something to eat? I don't see Toby any place around. Well, he's probably in the kitchen. Now, say pretty please, Queenie, and Mother give you this nice piece of meat. <laughs> That's Mother's darling. Here you are. Oh, isn't she lovely, Louise? Oh, yes. Queenie has such wonderful manners. Uh, we'd better eat our soup before it gets cold, Martha. Yes. And as I was saying, Louise, I don't care for Roger's attitude at all. Ask me, he's been behaving very strangely. Yes, Martha. Martha. Hmm? Martha, that, that piece of meat you gave Queenie doesn't seem to have agreed with her. She looks ill. Oh, yes, you're right. Oh, Queenie, what's the matter with Mother's little oh, darling? Martha, she's in agony. Yes. What can we do? Oh, Roger, Roger, come quickly. Oh, poor Queenie. Roger. She's suffering so hard, Martha. Oh, Roger, do something. We must help poor Queenie. Oh, Roger, look. I'm afraid it's too late, Aunt Martha. She's dead. Dead? But... Things like this will happen, Aunt Martha. She was old. She probably had cramps. Roger, you better take Queenie out of here. All right, dear. Poor Queenie. 
We've had her ever since she was a little kitten. Twelve years now. There, there, Aunt Louise, you mustn't cry. You still have Toby. Now, why don't you eat your supper? You'll feel much better if you do. Yes, How can you speak of food at a time like this? With poor Queenie's body, not even cold. I'm sorry, Aunt Martha. If you want me, just call. Martha, it won't be the same without Queenie. I simply can't understand it. One minute Queenie was perfectly well. Then after you gave her the meat, she became ill. Yes, she was perfectly well until she ate the meat. Louise, the meat, that's it. Don't understand, Martha. The meat, it was poisoned. Poisoned? Louise, that poisoned meat was meant for us. Martha, you don't mean that Roger and Hester... Oh, no. Yes, no. Louise, they're after our money. Oh, what are we going to do? We, we, we can't get at the phone. Have to get in touch with Judge Smith. Oh. Our lives depend upon it. The two old ladies stared at each other, terror in their eyes. The minutes dragged into hours, and each hour was a nightmare as they waited for the time to come when they could make the one contact between themselves and the outside world. Do you see George Gibson's car yet, Martha? No, Louise, but he should be in sight any minute now. Oh, what if Hester or Roger come home before he gets here? Then we won't be able to talk to him about our message to Judge Smith. Now, Louise, you know Roger isn't due home from work for another hour. Yes, yes, but what about Hester? She's over at the Miller's farm, and she's liable to return any minute. Please, I see George Gibson's car. Oh, he's just turning oh, into hurry, the drive. Hurry, Martha, hurry. All right, all right. Hurry. Please, I race the window. Uh, Martha, Martha, call to him quick before he gets away. Uh, George? George Gibson? Hello? Who's calling? Uh, look over this way, George. It's Martha Abbott. I want to see you. Oh, it's you, Martha. Howdy, Adam, come in. He's coming to meet you here. Now we'll be able to get in touch with Judge Smith. But after George Gibson left the Abbott sisters, he met Hester a half mile up the road. The two conversed for a minute. Then George Gibson continued on his way. Hester stared after him as he drove away, her face tense and white. Then, as if suddenly understanding the implication of his words, she turned and ran towards her home, her heart pounding with fear. Roger! Roger, I just met George Gibson, and he told me that when he delivered the mail here, Aunt Martha and Aunt Louise called him into the house. Called him into the house? Yes, they asked him to get Judge Smith for them at once. I told you it wasn't safe to leave them alone, even with the phone locked in our room. All our plans may have been for nothing. Oh, Roger, do you think they suspect? I don't know. But I do know it was a mistake letting them talk to George Gibson. After all our careful work, we can't let everything be spoiled now. Twenty-four hours have been endless. Where can George be? He's probably delayed somewhere. Oh, Martha, Martha, there. George is coming. He just turned into the drive. I told you he wouldn't fail us. Oh, but Roger and Hester are in the house now. What if they don't let George see us? Nonsense. When George has a message to deliver, he delivers it. I've just, just gone out to get the mail, but... Louise, 
What is it, Martha? What's wrong? That isn't George Gibson driving the mail car. What? The man driving it's only a youngster. Now he's leaving. Martha, what does it mean? I don't know. I don't understand. Perhaps George is ill and he couldn't come today. Hello, I'm Martha Louise. This magazine just came in the mail. Thought you might like to see it. Thank you, Roger. Why didn't George Gibson deliver the mail? Oh, so you noticed there was a new driver today? Yes. I'm sorry to tell you this, but poor George Gibson was killed last night. Killed? Oh, no. He had an accident as he was returning to the village. An accident? Yes. I don't want to speak any more about it. It'll just upset you. Hester will bring you your supper soon. Poor George. That means Judge Smith never got our message. Oh, Martha. Louise, don't you see? It wasn't an accident. But Roger said it was. George was deliberately killed to keep him from going to Judge Smith. (gasps) Martha, you don't mean that Roger and Hester... Yes, Louise. They both stop at anything to get our money. Oh, Martha, I'm so frightened. We must have courage or we're lost. Oh, but if we can't get word to the outside and and they're poisoning our food... Well, we haven't eaten a thing since poor Queenie died... We can't go on throwing food away or we'll starve. There's only one thing to do, Louise, if we're not to starve. Toby, must sample our food before we eat it. You mean to see if it's poisoned? Yes. Oh, Oh, I know it's dreadful risking poor Toby's life like that. But it's the only thing to do. And meanwhile, we must get in touch with Judge Smith. We must. Toby, a nice piece of meat for Mother's little darling. Uh, Martha? Why are you feeding Toby? He got plenty to eat in the kitchen. Of course. I've always fed Toby for my own plate. He expects it. But Aunt Martha, if you feed that meat to the cat, there won't be enough for you. Yes. If you're to get well, you need all that food. Now, I don't want you feeding Toby any more of it. Here, Toby. Come along, boy. Come on out to the kitchen while Aunt Martha and Louise eat their supper. Martha? Louise? I've brought you your lunch. Doesn't it look good? Yes, Hester, it's very nice. Lunch, eh? Here, Toby. Hester, have you seen Toby? No, Aunt Martha, I haven't. But where could he be? Toby's always on time for meals. He's probably someplace around the house. Now eat your lunch before it gets cold. Oh, Martha, where can he be? Toby will be along in a few minutes. We won't touch a bit of this food until he's tried it first. Oh, I do wish he were here. I'm so hungry. Please, don't touch a thing on that tray. It isn't safe. Oh, here, Toby. Here, kitty, 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 Good evening, Aunt Martha. Louise, how are you? Good evening, Roger. I have your supper here for you, too. Aunt Martha, neither of you ate your lunch. What's wrong? We... we weren't hungry, Hester. Have you found Toby yet? No. I've looked everywhere for him, but he seems to have disappeared. Oh, no. Now, you mustn't worry. I'm sure he'll turn up. Yes. Aunt Martha, you and Louise can't afford to miss meals in your state of health. Why, certainly not. 
Now, we want you to eat everything that Hester has brought you. Yes, you'll make us very unhappy if you don't. Now, eat it while it's hot. Come along, Roger. I'll get you your supper. All right, dear. Did you hear what she said about Toby Louise? Yes, he's vanished. Nonsense, they've killed him. You saw how angry they were last night when we fed Toby from our plates. They've killed him so he won't spoil their plans. Oh, Martha, what are we going to do? I'm so hungry. Got to get word to Judge Smith before it's too late. But how? Tomorrow, I'm going to go out to the road and try to get to the village. But, Martha, it's, it's two miles to the village, and you know you can't walk more than a few yards. You, you're not strong enough. Louise, with either starvation or poisoning staring us in the face, we haven't any choice. I must try to reach the village. The next morning, after Roger had left for the village and Hester had gone to the Miller farm, Martha dressed as quickly as her shaking hands would permit. Louise watched nervously as her sister quietly opened the door and started on her long, painful way to the village. Hello, Aunt Louise. Oh, why, where's Aunt Martha? Aunt Martha? Um, she's someplace around the house, but I've just been through the house. Why, her closet is open, and her hat and coat are missing. Aunt Louise, did Martha leave this house? Why, uh, oh, why yes, she, uh, she said she wanted to go for a walk. Go for a walk? Her aid in a weather like this? Why, it'll be the death of her. Did she start out toward the village? Answer me. Yes, Hester. Telephone Roger at his office. She must be stopped. Twenty minutes later, as Roger drove along the road leading to his home, he saw a small figure in the distance. It was Aunt Martha. There was a weary, painful look on her face as she hobbled towards the village. In spite of her determined resistance, he put her in his car and drove rapidly on home. One thought was uppermost in his mind. He must make sure that this could never be repeated. Oh, Martha, I'm so hungry. Yes, Louise, I know. So am I. We've gone three days now without eating. We left them our money and our wills. Why must they kill us? They're nothing but common murderers. Oh, if there was only some way to get word to the village. Louise, I've got an idea. What is it, Martha? If we were to set fire to the house, they'd see it in the village. Yes. And then, then the fire company would come out. Then we'd be able to tell them we'd be saved. Oh, oh but Martha... Hester and Roger would put out the fire before it could get big enough. Louise, I know a way we can prevent them from putting out the fire. You do? Yes, and we can save ourselves, Louise. We can save ourselves. Here, Toby. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And Martha. Why are you looking down the cellar? You should be in your room. Yes, it's drafty out here in the hall. Now, come on, close the cellar door and go back to your room. But I heard Toby crying. He's down in the cellar, and I won't go to my room until I get but him. But Aunt Martha, Roger, he... just to put Aunt Martha's mind at ease, why don't you go down to the cellar and see if Toby is there? Oh, all right. If you ask me, it's just a waste of time. Oh, please help him look for Toby, Hester. You'll find him so much quicker if you both look for him. Oh, very well. But you go back to your room so you won't catch cold. 
Roger, do you see him? He doesn't seem to be any place here in the cellar. Now we'll see just how smart you are trying to poison us. There, you won't stop us from escaping now. I must get Louise. Louise! Louise! Oh, Louise, it worked. Martha, you mean you you were able to lock them in the cellar? Yes, and with the door locked, we can't get out. And Martha, unlock this door. Let us go. Oh, they found out they're locked in. Don't you worry about it, Louise. I'll take care of everything. Oh, Martha. And Martha. Martha, what are you doing with that kerosene lamp? I'm pouring the kerosene around the room so that it'll burn. Oh, yeah. Are you ready to leave, Louise? Yes, Martha. Then strike a match and start the fire. Oh, oh, how quickly it's starting to spread. Yes, we better leave. I'll push your wheelchair, Louise, and you try to help by rolling the wheels. Yes, Louise. There. Yes, we're coming along nicely. Oh, Martha, I hate to do this. Louise, you mustn't waste any pity on them. Even if they are our niece and nephew, they're nothing but common murderers. Yes, I suppose you're right. Now I'll just open the front door and we'll be free. Roll the wheels a bit, Louise. Yes, I am. Just a few feet more and we'll be safe. There. 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 Far enough away from the house to be perfectly safe. Oh, my. The whole house is on fire now. Yes. Lovely fire, isn't it? I don't feel cold at all. Oh, do you think they can see it in the village by now, Martha? I'm sure they do. Remember, Louise, when the fire company gets here, we don't know what happened to Roger and Hester. We just managed to get out ourselves. Yes, Martha. If we told them what we were forced to do to escape, we'd have to reveal that our own niece and nephew were poisonous murderers. We don't want to disgrace the family name, Louise. Oh, no, Martha. Of course not. Two minutes later, the fire company arrived to find Martha and Louise in the garden, staring at the roaring fire which had been their home. It was too late to save the other occupants of the house, so the men were forced to stand by helplessly and watch it burn. Good morning, Judge Smith. Good morning, Miss Martha, Miss Louise. I trust you're well after that terrible ordeal last night. We're much better, thank you, Judge. Well, now that your niece and nephew are gone, we must plan for your future. Oh, you don't have to bother, Judge. All we want to do is move back to our old house, hire a few servants, and live as we used to. Oh, and I was wondering if you could arrange to have Mary Thompson come live with us. I won't hear of her going to that dreadful home for the infirm. Oh, no, it would be the death of her. Ladies, I'd hoped I'd never have to reveal the truth to you, but now it appears I must. I don't understand, Judge. Last month, the bonds in the trust fund your father left you became utterly worthless. What? Your nephew and niece were afraid the shock of learning you were penniless would kill you. So it was decided to keep the news from you. That's why the three of us persuaded you to move in with them. 
your house here in the village had to be sold to meet debts of the estate. That can't be. Father left us so much. It's all worthless now. Perhaps I should have told you this a month ago. But your niece and nephew wouldn't hear of it. In spite of the fact that they had only Roger's salary to live on, they were determined to prevent you from ever learning of your misfortune. But the... the deaths of poor Queenie and Toby. Of, of, of George Gibson. George Gibson? Yes. I'm afraid I don't understand. Surely you heard he was killed a few days ago when a tire on his car blew out and it overturned. You mean he wasn't murdered? Certainly not. Are you feeling well? Has my news been too much for you? No, no. Well, now that your niece and nephew are gone and there's no one to support you, I'm afraid there's only one thing left. One thing left? What's that? I'm sorry to say, the home for the infirm, the poor house. This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip? Too bad about the Abbott sisters. Such nice old ladies. But then, how were they to know that poor Queenie died of cramps, not poison? After all, you can't be too careful, can you? Would you care for a sandwich? They're very delicious. I make them myself. Oh, you're getting off at the next stop. I'm sorry. Perhaps you'll join me again soon. I take this same train every week. You've just heard Chapter 9 of The Mysterious Traveler a series of dramas of the strange and unusual brought to you each week by station WOR. In tonight's program, The House of Death, Irene Hubbard played Martha Abbott and Elizabeth Morgan played Louise Abbott. The Mysterious Traveler, written by Robert Arthur and David Cogan, is directed by Jock McGregor. Original music was played by Doc Whipple. Listen next week to a tale titled The Man Who Knew Too Much. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual every Sunday at 7 over most of these stations. This is Mutual. That was The House of Death from The Mysterious Traveler here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Listener request. Beep, 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 beep. I don't know. It's my sound effect for listener request. Beep, 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 beep. Listener <laughs> a little request. Beep, late beep, in the beep, beep, run of this podcast to invent a <laughs> never sound. Too late. Oh. Never too late. That oh, is man. now the sound. When you hear beep, 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 it means it's a listener request coming in. <laughs> <laughs> on a mysterious old wire. Yep. <laughs> Turning into the Pee Wee's Playhouse somehow. Uh, who'd they I'm come to us from? Patricia. Patricia, that's right. Patricia is a patron at the highest level.
I don't mean to suggest that there are mere listeners and then there are patrons <laughs> at the highest level, but the distinction is there. Right. <laughs> do you guys remember, and thank you, Patricia, uh, do you guys remember the episode, of, and I can't remember the name or the show, we did it on the podcast about a couple of women on a ghost ship. What bon was voyage. Bon, bon voyage, yeah. Is this the same two women? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of not kidding. I kept thinking, are these the bon same? Bon Voyage is a sequel to this guy? They're the same two actors. It's so identical in voice and structure and their relationship. Yeah, there's a more dominant one yeah, and a exactly. weaker one. One of the things I like about this is it keeps the listener guessing which trope it's going to go with. <laughs> is it elder abuse or is it evil old lady trope? Neither one is true. You're right. It's a wacky misunderstanding. It's ultimately. a wacky. <laughs> it's a horrifying misunderstanding. It's not one of those where you go, and they got what's coming to them. Nobody did. <laughs> Everybody's innocent. That's the way I see it. You find them to be evil old ladies? I was a little upset when they decided, well, we have no choice but to uh, turn, to let the cat be our meat taste tester. <laughs> you know, had they actually been in a situation where we are receiving possibly poisoned food, either the cat's going to save their life or the cat's going to eat pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not endorsing, like, you should always have the, your cat eat your food before you do, but I see their dilemma there. Um my experience listening to this was I felt it was so clear that they were wrong from the get-go that I thought, like, that's part of the setup. These are two women who are convinced wrongly that they're being held prisoner and attempted poisoning that at first I was like, well, this is just so obvious, the plot, because I'm so smart. I'm super smarty. In this, <laughs> And then I just really turned around on it of the point is not the surprise. The point is... The horror of seeing these two women go through everything they're going through, everything they end up doing to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoyed it from that point of view of letting go of the plot twist, the characters and their experience. I thought it was really compelling. I I think it's fairly obvious the plot twist that's coming. Otherwise, what else is there? So we know that we're being led down the path of these two are trying to get the money from the old ladies and it's going to not be that. But my issue was the idea of why they didn't tell them was too flimsy to hold up for me because it might kill you. All of this could have been avoided <laughs> with a sit down and saying, hey guys, <laughs> you're going to lose your money. In all fairness, do you imagine being in this scenario and going, we better tell our aunts about this. Otherwise, they might lock us in the basement and let us burn alive. That is where this story wins a lot of points for me, is like Tim was saying, it becomes really clear that, okay, the old ladies are wrong. Arthur and Kogan are trying to make it really difficult to figure out how and why they're wrong. And I never saw it escalating to that final scene where my I, my mouth is kind of dropped, where she's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just pouring some kerosene. Right. <laughs> light this puppy on fire. And then when they're out there and she's like, oh my, the roof is caved in. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh my God. I will give you that, that once they were locked in the cellar, they had so many options of how to resolve this uh, by 
trying to get into town and get some help or uh, whatever. But they did. It's over the top, but they checked all those boxes. One's in a wheelchair. The other sure. the other one can't walk more than a couple yards, they sure. claim. The phone doesn't work. How about they, talking to them through the door? Hey, guys, so you're locked in the cellar. Now you're either going to starve to death or you're going to stop trying. My point is... Uh, and believe I think their was, lies? Right. <laughs> My point is, I think it was fantastic that they just went from not a lock in the cellar, now what? We burn them alive. That's what we do. <laughs> and so I agree with you. My mouth went open and I went, wow, you went to that step really fast. As far as storytelling goes and horror, yay. <laughs> I know this was many, burn them many alive. years ago, but it, I think it's still true, that thing of your grandparents and their sense of what's normal <laughs> is really <laughs> different than your sense of what's normal. <laughs> true well, i'm kind of glad that we are doing this one right after talking about four went home from escape right as you will recall last week we carried on about the realism of escape and how much we enjoyed that mm-hmm. and to follow up with this demonstrates this whole other side of old-time radio and horror that i yes, love that exactly. reminds me a lot of an ec comic book I can yeah. easily see this told in panels. It has those broad, evocative characters like a comic book story, that emphasis on plot twists that you know are coming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the casual but shocking violence that I associate with EC Comics. I can see like Johnny Craig or Wally Wood drawing all these characters. What are Easy Comics? Easy Comics. I said Easy, like uh, <laughs> a guy from Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> we got to unpack a lot here. Starting Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> was that a Huggy Bear? That was his brother. My name is Easy. Easy Comics uh, famously was the horror comics that got such a public outcry of horror and disgust about think of the children that the comics code was put in place to uh oh uh, I, I can't think of the name of any like uh, vault of secrets or I, tales from the crypt tales from the, crypt. Was the oh, big the crypt. famous one yeah and I they have were some of those they were in fact influenced by these radio shows yes. so it should be that ec comics reminds us of mysterious traveler and inner sanctum and the witch's tale uh mm. yes yeah they pulled the witch uh, host straight out of witch's tale so I love that, and I accept yeah. when I go into the Mysterious Traveler or the Inner Sanctum that that's what we're dealing with, these bigger-than-life stories told with broad, violent strokes. <laughs> and I, I find that just incredibly pleasurable in its own way. That was uh, the thing I enjoyed about it was, was exactly what you're saying, is the horror of it, and not in the way that modern horror movies treat and present horror, but literally in the beat-by-beat, beat, I'm just cringing of like, ah, oh, no, ah. Uh, as opposed to like jump scares. Right. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more, Joshua, as I said last week. Don't get me wrong. I love old time radio, uh, traditional, not realistic uh, conversations and that, that escapism of, forgive me, the, the corniness mm-hmm. perhaps of the presentation of it. I love that kind of radio. So it, you are exactly right that it is an interesting combination from last week where I felt like someone actually picked me up and put me in a POW camp, and that was uh, very disturbing. Thanks! <laughs> right. And this week, to Someone observe- locked you in a basement and set you on fire. <laughs> no. What it does in this style is it makes you observe it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm observing this story instead of actually being in the story. But yeah, this was really fun. Last week, you listen and go, oh man, that was dark. And this week, you listen and go, oh man, that was dark. (laughs) That's That's the difference of being inside or outside of it. That's exactly how to describe it. That's exactly (laughs) right. And it's not a tutorial on writing. It's just, you know, Tim always describes it. That's a nice warm blanket of horror. (laughs) However, I am going to say that Arthur and Kogan are good at this kind of writing. One of my notes here is titled Writing Lesson. (laughs) If you're going to start your story with bald-faced expository dialogue, this is how you do it. (laughs) Because in a few quick clunky exchanges... Everything is established, the setting mm-hmm. and the characters. You know, Louise and Martha live in the country now. They used to live in the village. They miss it. They don't like being here, uh, but they were forced by their niece and nephew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what? And they it, have what, a cat. And they have two cats. Yeah. And it's in 60 seconds. And, you know, yep. what it lacks in subtlety, it makes up for in efficiency. <laughs> Speed. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's an appeal to that. And there are some people who try to write this stuff, and it's merely clunky and boring. Well, as someone that really appreciates getting to the castle, this thing got to the castle. All right, we're all set up, ready to go, and we're off. Adventures of two women who have mobility issues. (laughs) (laughs) Thrill as they talk to the mailman. I'm being glib, but it is. It makes it scary. Like, these are really helpless people, mm-hmm. kind of, until they set the house on fire. I think Arthur and Kogan thought this was funny. Yeah. I, th- I think there's intentional dark humor in here. I, that passage where the two sisters are reading through the obituary. Yeah. Yes. It's more than just a funny little exchange. It's a funny little exchange on the topics of the actual play. Death and what's mm. going to happen to you if you don't have enough money <laughs> and you don't die. <laughs> You're going to go to the poorhouse. It's a phrase that's gone away and that's a night thing that's gone away, but I'm not really sure what it is. And I forgot to look it up. I wanted to find out more about what is a poorhouse? Like if you didn't make enough money, did you go have to live in a place? I'm going to guess, and I may be wrong, and the internet can yell at me, but it, I thought it was somewhere between, like, debtor's prison and Well, that's the other thing. That's, that's another thing that's weird. Debtor's prison. Boy, I would have been there a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We'd be doing this podcast from debtor's prison. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. <laughs> I think us out of prison. I think what's really interesting about debtor's prison, the concept of it is that if they would have known a hundred years later or whenever went away that every single person would be in debt. That's how you live now. You're in debt. That's how our government lives. <laughs> it's just you're in debt. Have a well, credit that's card. That's the idea of like, you will be in debt. Can you pay it back? Right. Great. No? Prison. <laughs> Debtor's prison. So it's really honesty prison. <laughs> because you, <laughs> you, Can you pay it back? Can I borrow more? <laughs> You're out of prison. <laughs> Just higher interest rate. Get me out of here. And what was, you know, like for criminals, it was prison different than for debtor's prison? Was debtor's prison just like a lot of lectures on money? <laughs> <laughs> Or was it cutthroat? It was to guarantee that the person you owed money got the money. You got out once it was paid off. Once you go in, how do you pay that off? I think they allowed you to go work, depending Uh, on the case, or your family would have to come up with it, or someone else, or again, probably borrow to get out of debtor's (laughs) prison. Quick, pay that guy back. 
My mother threatened us with the poorhouse that if we didn't, if you don't finish all of that food, we'll end up in the poorhouse. You know, like everything was, you know, wow. money related and you will end up in the poorhouse. And I'm pretty sure I grew up in a time when there was no poorhouse. And yet I was convinced there was one. But they specifically in the newspaper call what they are referring to the house of the infirm. Uh, the ladies yeah. call it the poorhouse. So I think this has to do with oh, it, with yeah. elderly people in specific who can no longer take care of themselves that are put into what is probably okay. some sort of horrible government hole. <laughs> right. For poor people, whereas if you could afford it, you would go somewhere nicer. Like a Super 8. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I don't think it was quite debtor's prison, what they were referring to here, or, or a, a, no. a kind of criminal poorhouse. And, and, and all I'm saying is, Oh, yeah, poorhouse. I wanted to look into that. That's all. <laughs> and you're like, is that an option? Can I do that? <laughs> well, that's the other thing. If it's still around, how bad is it? <laughs> I don't think it's the kind of thing where you can go do your time instead of paying off your debt. Okay, well, that's what I'm asking, but it's fair. You know, like if it's I, if that's it's like indentured servitude. <laughs> do they have chairs and a TV? <laughs> I might want to opt for that. I know we've all said that this seemed pretty obvious that uh, it's not going to be that the niece and nephew are really out to kill them. And intellectually, consciously, I knew that. But I think they do a pretty good job along the way making, at least it did me as a listener, go, or maybe not. I would immediately go, no, 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 no. I'm right. This is not it. But one of the strange segments, both in content and the way it was presented in audio form uh, when the two sisters started talking about Roger's checkered past. Yes. The yeah, music Because they was... talk about, you know, there was some incident in, in college, college and then it moves to this music and then it fades back into the conversation where, oh, and he wrote a bad check. Wrote a bad check. And to me, to I took it as... that they'd been saying like 20 hours, minutes of... <laughs> hours worth of his crimes were being listed and we just cut to the end of... Then there was the eighth hooker he killed. <laughs> Wanted for armed robbery. But that's just it. The ones on either end of it are pretty benign piddly piddly that's a good word <laughs> the music though for the passing of time i all of a sudden i said are we listening to nightfall <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it weird like it didn't really match it, it was year, an odd moment what it, year is this 1944 that does not have a 1944 musical sting sound to it at all i think somebody fell asleep on the organ <laughs> like but, Somewhere in the background, they had turned the radio up to some big band thing that's playing, in the, and then turned it back down after the show was over, and they were still talking. That noise you just made was an actual nightfall. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that... I'm telling you, go back and listen to that little piece of music. It's weird. It didn't strike you guys as weird. Oh, it struck oh, me yeah. as weird. The whole thing was weird, the structure of it. Okay, thank you. Um, it made me second guess what I thought was going on in the story. That was true. The, of As confident as I was, of like, these ladies are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> They're hysterical. Um, <laughs> I'm going to slap that old one in the wheel. <laughs> but uh, being so confident in that, like, so I wonder how they're going to explain that the cat died and the mailman and the other cat disappeared. Mm-hmm. Cramps. Cramps. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Is that euphemism, old timey euphemism for like dying of old age? No, no. The, the cat went swimming uh, before. <laughs> Got the bends before waiting an hour. Oh, <laughs> it, that's weird. Or maybe 
we just have forgotten that we cured cramps. That <laughs> 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 he used to kill you. Yeah. Wow. Charlie Horse. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis had the whole telethon for cramps, <laughs> and he actually cured it. <laughs> just one telethon. Hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the cat died of cramps, but uh, it's it's pretty. Well, weak. they did mention the cat is very old. The cat was twelve. Uh, yeah. So the, I, I just want to stop and give props to that cat performance. That's some first-rate cat acting. Is it freeze? <laughs> I have no idea who it is, but it it was good. It was very good. It was not cat wife material. No, no, you would not marry this cat. It, <laughs> it was it's very too old. Cat sounding. <laughs> Well, anybody else have anything else they want to say about this? Um, it's been a while since we've talked about Mysterious Traveler, but mm-hmm. it's so, I mean, those whole setup, the performance, it's so evocative. I love Mysterious Traveler. And I also wanted to say, this is what I said in the intro, but this is one of the early, maybe the earliest surviving episode. It's the ninth one. Yeah. Wow. And I thought the tone of the opening was slightly different. The Traveler felt more sinister and yeah, malicious. Not like, as much whimsy to him. Yeah, more like he kidnapped the listener, and this was on He's got him on the murder train. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, you'll find out where you're going when we get there. Yeah. It sounds more like an evil conductor than a fellow passenger. Yeah, but then he did make a sandwiches. He did make a joke at the end. And we just didn't have time to eat them. And I I was screaming, I, I have I have time to eat the sandwiches. <laughs> He's, he's probably poison. Experience. Don't just take random sandwiches on the no. bus that people hand you. <laughs> Toby the cat was riding with the mysterious traveler, and he was going to have Toby taste these sandwiches. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's set it to a vote, shall we? Uh, Tim, you get to start. I don't know why, because I'm looking that way. I don't know. I would call this a classic. This is not. I mean, if you were, I want to hear the vital pulse of old-time radio, and you didn't hear this one, you'd probably be okay. But it is so much fun, uh, and it certainly stands the test of time. It is a style of storytelling that they don't do anymore that I wish they did. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. This is quintessential Mysterious Traveler mm-hmm. because it has everything that I like about it. It's a simple plot built around a twist you see coming, but only vaguely. <laughs> The pleasure is all in that anticipation. Mm-hmm. And in the case of this story, the surprising brutality of the twist <laughs> once it finally arrives. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely stands the test of time. And I enjoyed the dark humor in it. I enjoyed how completely emotionally unattached the writers were to any of these characters. Yes. Just like, ha ha, innocent old ladies are screwed. <laughs> <Right>. The end. <laughs> it's a story that really fits the personality of the mysterious traveler. Mm-hmm. I believe that this is one of his favorite stories, and he just thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I, I think it verges on a classic of mysterious travelers, I've heard, just because mm. it is just so perfectly everything I love about it. So thank you, Patricia. Yes. I will say it is uh, pretty much echoing everything I said, but simplifying it, I find this to be simple, fun. Nice. Uh, and it doesn't go much beyond that for me, but it certainly didn't make me angry. <laughs> I, it was certainly enjoyable. But You didn't pick up on the Waiting for Godot reference? I did. Or anything I did. Like I did. I picked up on all those layers, super <laughs> big Joshua layers. <laughs> all right, Tim, tell them stuff. Hey! 
Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. This is not the only episode we've done and arbitrarily labeled with some big number. <laughs> we've done a lot. Um, you can comment on episodes. You can vote in polls. Let us know what your thoughts are. You can send us messages, request episodes. You can link to our, uh, our swag page. That's not, it's not, it's our threadless store where there is swag you can order. And you can link to our Patreon page. Yes. Go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast at the highest level. Just like Patricia. She'll tell you it was totally worth it. Wasn't it, Patricia? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> So please, we do appreciate the donations. We it really we make it go a long way, fellas. We do a weekly podcast, we do live performances, mm-hmm. we have Zoom happy hours where we hang out with all our patrons. Um, I have started a mysterious old book club. Uh, this is going out in November, so you have time to uh, become a member and join me for the next one in December. We will be discussing a book that I think Eric would be interested in. Mm. It's titled. We have always lived in the castle. Oh, nice. So there's no worry about getting there. They've always been there. It's by Shirley Jackson. I know all about it. I do. I bought it for Shannon for Christmas. Shirley Jackson. Well, Shannon should join us for the book She should join. Uh, I bought, actually, uh, my wife, uh, last Christmas, all the Shirley Jackson books. That was her Christmas present. Wow. Yeah, and I saw the title of that. Now, I'm not reading it. (laughs) If you'd like to see the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company perform live, we do recreations and adaptations of classic old-time radio drama, plus a lot of our own original work, and we perform somewhere monthly. To find out where we're performing live on stage radio drama, please go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com and see where and when and what we're performing this month. And we'd love to see you. If you can't, buy a ticket online. Watch it online. We've got all the equipment. It looks great. And if you can't do it that night, then you watch it later. Give us some money and watch us <laughs> do some radio, would you? <laughs> We're becoming more and more belligerent. (laughs) What's coming up next? Uh, Next, we will be joined by a patron co-host, Atticus, will be here, and we'll be listening to an episode of CBS Radio Workshop entitled, A Pride of Carrots. Until then... Excuse me, said I don't trust Roger, but you must recall the scrape he was in when he attended college. Then there was the matter of that bad check Roger gave. 